This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each and every week, with the exception of the next two weeks, by a legend, the one and only member of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. And uh, the holidays right. are coming up. The uh, UFC's calendar year, at least, is behind us. And uh, we've got a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, kind of a nice little ending to uh, a good year of UFC fights, to be honest with you. I kind of enjoyed that card on the weekend. But uh, I'm excited for Christmas. I'm excited for a little break. Um, I think a month off from UFC fights is a little too much now. Come on, guys. You <laughs> gave us every week, and now you're going to make us wait a month now? It's a little too much. Well, technically, it's like three weeks. So there's nothing this week. Because it's Christmas, this is in a couple of days, obviously. Uh, and if you're listening on radio, it, it's today or yesterday or tomorrow, it, you know. But then the week after, you know, it's the week of New Year's. You, you take that week off too. And then the week after that, they're like right back to it because it's like that's when fight week starts, right? So it's only like two weeks where you don't have a week to look forward to a fight. Does that make sense? Yeah, but isn't it the 14th, the first fight? 15th. Yeah, 15th. The 15th. Yeah, to me, it still seems like a month, but now nah, I get what you're saying. I yeah. feel you. Unless it's three weeks. Well, so so this week is Christmas is the 25th. The week after is sorry, yeah, sorry, it's three weeks. Three weeks where we don't have a fight week to look forward to. So yeah, it's still it's still a good amount of time it's considering a long what time. we're used to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a long time. I uh, I still think. I mean, as we end the year, I still think one pay per view, a stacked show, and I think one. I I keep going back one or two. I think we should have one week off a month. Well, whatever That's they're it. doing, it's working because it's their. That was their most pay-per-views they've ever sold in a year was this past year. And Dana White said that they've grown their audience like by about forty percent, which to me makes sense during the pandemic. If you, you know, there's so much uncertainty around all these team sports, and the UFC are kind of uniquely suited to succeed because it's an individual sport where you don't have the same people competing week in and week out. I've talked about this on the show before, but I just think that in a COVID world, with them having their own production facility, with them having different fighters that are available each week, with people that live in Vegas that are able to step in. Like they're pretty much suited for long-term success, regardless of what is being thrown at us. And right now, it seems like, you know, the COVID monster is throwing a lot at us with these these yeah. big numbers go, uh, going around uh, in a lot of different countries, ours included, the U.S. included. And if I were to bet on it today, I don't think that UFC 270 is happening in California in January. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, no, I, I with you. I'm with you here. And I, I think. Since we know Montreal started the lockdown, I think the process is just starting to, to reverse. But uh, I think like Dana always said, he's like, hey, I don't care what happens. We got Florida, we got Texas, and we got Vegas. So, I mean, at the end of the day, they'll be able to put on shows there uh, no matter what. They, they're controlling their production, and I think that was the smartest move the UFC did. Well, the smartest move they did was building the Apex in the first place, right? Like, nobody could have foreseen this happening, and they had it all ready to go, right? Like, yeah. they just have to flip a switch, and they're good. They, they've held fights in the Apex prior to the pandemic. They held the Contender Series, Ultimate Fighter, all that. So they're ready to go, which is, again, I just think that they, they were, were, I don't think they had any sort of foresight, but whatever it is that got them to build this facility, I mean, it was brilliant. It's just totally brilliant because of the fact that they can continue uninterrupted like i don't think they're gonna have to cancel any card they can just move them to the apex if they if they if they feel like there's an inkling that california is not going to be able to hold the event with a full capacity on january 27th or whatever it is 22nd i think they, they just up and move to the uh, apex yeah i think even hearing uh 
Dana gets a little frustrated sometimes because I've been watching some of his press conferences and stuff like that. And he always gets that question like, well, doesn't it make sense to go to Brazil? He's like, well, sure. But look what's going on day to day. Everything changes. Like, I understand how it can be very frustrating for him uh, when people keep asking about what about this place? What about that place? He's like, yeah, it does make sense. But look what we look what we're in, you know. So I think people are just getting excited. And I think most of the world thought we're in the clear of this COVID thing heading into 2022. And I know it kind of affected you this past weekend. You had uh, Michael Imperato, who's training striking with yep. you in the main event of a new upstart promotion that was going to get started in Niagara Falls, uh, Ontario. And uh, it got the venue, I guess, shut it down because the province would have allowed it to go at 50% capacity. But the venue, I guess, wasn't comfortable holding it. It's, yeah, I from, mean, from my understanding, I don't know what you've heard. Yeah, I mean, I've heard different things. But at the end of the day, it didn't go through. And it's just uh, it's unfortunate. I think fighters from Ontario, especially in Canada, it's just it's been a tough go uh, trying to get fights and trying to build a career here. I mean, kickboxing is locally has been nothing here as well. And it's, it's just a, a tough time overall. And now trying to get over to the States is a little bit more difficult. So we got to find a way in Canada to keep fights going somehow. And even if... Uh, I don't know. We turned bazooka kickboxing into some little online fight ring or something. We'll we'll think of something. I don't know. Can you run amateur events at your gym if you wanted to? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> I mean, it's it just still like I'd have to bring a commission, and then the fact that me bringing in commission and doctors and paramedics, it just builds people in, and there's a whole process to it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to stay positive, but uh, it's pretty tough. Well, right now the Netherlands is in lockdown. Also, when when's Glory supposed to have their their next event? February. Yeah, that got moved already. So, I oh, mean, right. I don't have details to share. and I have to let Glory, uh, Glory kind of spill the beans. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it'll be in Holland. But we're trying to plan an event in Europe around that time. Well, because – and I don't know how – this is changing every single day. But from what I've uh, – I understand, you know, th- this virus is going to taper off mid-February is what uh, – from what I've read. is that's, that's what is expected to happen based on the previous cases that they've seen in other countries is like it – the wave kind of lasts about a month and a half or two months. So we're, uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, that's what the expectation is. Uh, but, yeah, sorry to hear that I guess it got canceled in the Netherlands. I, th- I guess the Netherlands is shut down right now. So, yeah, it's all over. It's, uh, it's happening all over again. Yep, we're back. We're back into it. So, uh, yeah, I'll just uh, keep quiet here on this part of the show as my politics uh, will remain quiet here. Well, I saw somebody point. wrote uh, 2021 is like 2020. W-O-N, 2021, and mm-hmm. 2022 is 2020, comma, T-O-O, so it's like... Two, yeah, yeah. again, yeah. yeah. So, well, That's creative. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see how everything plays out, but at the same time, we have fights to recap from this past week. Main event, Derek Lewis defeats Chris Dawkins. It's so funny with Derek Lewis, because he, he builds all this momentum and steam, then he has, like, one loss, and everybody forgets how good he is, and, yeah. like, it was so clear how he was going to win that fight when you look at it in hindsight... But like we like leading into it, you have a guy like Dawkins who's on a roll and he's beating all these guys in the first round. He's got volume and all this stuff. And you know, Derek Lewis has had issues with volume strikers in the past. But when you see Derek Lewis having a power advantage over just about anybody, he finds a way to win. Yeah, I mean, I was actually surprised when I mean I was making my pre-fight bets and to see De- uh, Derek Lewis as an underdog. I mean, that was crazy to me. I mean, I thought that was an easy money pick for me, knowing his power. I mean, is Doc is good? Yeah, I think he's great. The way he moves, I think uh, he's still a a little bit more uh, experience needs to come his way. But uh, I think you can never bet Derek Lewis out. And I think with uh, I think we I ended up getting him at like plus one thirty. I thought that was uh, an easy pick yeah, on my end. It seems like a layup in hindsight, right? Like <laughs> you, you look at it, 
now. And it's like, yeah, that is pretty clear how he was going to win that fight. And, and yeah. if you think of how he would lose that fight, like it's tough because Dawkins would have to kind of overwhelm him with strikes. And when you do that, you are always at risk of Lewis just... We've seen Lewis in the past. When he starts getting you know, hit with volume, he usually just throws big bombs back. And you yeah. have to have the confidence like a Cyril Gaon or the speed like a Cyril Gaon or the technique like a Cyril Gaon to be able to yeah, overcome yeah. that. And there is only really yeah. one Cyril Gaon in the UFC right now. And, I mean, we've seen Derek Lewis on his back, right? And he just kind of lays there, too, until he gets that one explosive mm-hmm. moment to pop up. And then when he gets up, you're in trouble. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you can – I mean, I think with him, I mean, you should always sprinkle a little bit of money on Derek Lewis by KO. I mean, you can't. Why not? I yeah. mean, it kind of hedges the bet nicely. Is that what you got? You took him by KO or you took him money line? No, I just took him I just took a money line at mm-hmm. plus 130. I mean, at one point I was just like, what do I not know about Chris Dawkins that other people know? So, I mean, the odds were throwing me off. I was like, how? I didn't understand. So, I was like, maybe there's something I didn't know it's about Chris Dawkins. total recency bias. It's basically the exact, like the only real answer because Dawkins is on a roll, three in a row, first yeah. round. You see all that. And Lewis is coming off of a really bad loss in front of his hometown. But then you also have to think to yourself like, I'm sure that doesn't sit well with Derek Lewis. I think there's a reason why he's coming back so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I just think he he sells himself so perfectly. I think the his character of not wanting five rounds is funny. His post fight interviews are great. His just his personality for the the heavyweight division, I think, is awesome. I think he's just a, a personality and a sportsman that I think we're lucky to have. And when I look at him, I, and and the the great thing is we see knockouts. And I mean, I know he got awarded for the most knockouts in UFC history, but I don't really see a full mixed martial artist in him. You know, and I, it's just crazy to see someone who doesn't really almost take it like a full martial artist gets so high in the sport and you can get away with it at uh, at heavyweight but in other divisions you kind of can't and here's one thing we need to remember always going forward with Derek Lewis whenever you're going to pick one of his fights he doesn't like pressure he doesn't and when I say pressure I don't mean in the cage I mean outside the cage he doesn't like fighting in Houston because he doesn't like being in front of people that he knows he doesn't like being at home during a fight week he's talked about this openly so we need yeah. to remember like if he's fighting at the apex in a small cage like you almost have to give them the benefit of the doubt. They can mm-hmm. beat just about anybody. Yeah, I I, I just like this promos and how honest he was about. I don't want these five rounds. I mean, I I get it. I mean, I I would put myself as a three round over five round fighter, but because you have to make adjustments for five rounds, and I think it's uh, I think it's smart. He's like, hey, I mean, I know he'll take big fights, but. I mean, at the end of the day, he has such a big name where training those extra two rounds is a lot on him. So I kind of think it's funny, and I kind of, uh, I kind of agree with him when he says that. But I feel like she's almost approach every fight like it's a three-round fight, even if it is a five-round fight, right? Like, just fight like it's going to be three rounds because he—he's not the type of guy that wins decisions, anyways, for the most part, right? Like he has—he's won three-round decisions before, but if it's going to go five rounds, he should just say, "If I—if I can't get my guy out of there in three rounds, I'm not going to win the fight," because that's kind of how it is in a five-round fight for Derek Lewis. Well, I mean, I think five round fights for anybody, there's a little bit of an adjustment. I mean, we've seen people come out really hard in the first round and then gas out in, you know, the later parts of the fight. So I think no matter what, when you get a five round fight, it's almost a little bit more like boxing because boxing, you can't fight hard for 12 rounds. You kind of have to find up and down moments. And I think in five, five minutes, it's the same thing. You can't only attack for five minutes so you kind of have to be a little bit more strategic when you go forward and when you relax so yeah it's different it's a different beast the five rounds but again if you're Derek Lewis wouldn't the the sound strategy to be fight your fight like it's a three-round fight and let your opponent fight like it's a five-round fight let them conserve their energy and try to like withstand what you're going to throw at them because Derek Lewis can bait some like if you're not willing to fight back against Derek Lewis he's going to beat you 
right? Like, yeah. if he has yeah. that mindset where it's like, don't worry about this fight going five rounds. Just throw your best stuff out the shoot. And if the guy's able to survive it, they're unique because most people are not able to survive an onslaught from Derek Lewis. And that's what he did against Chris Dawkins. It was just an onslaught. He threw... He threw a flying, uh, was that a flying knee or a flying, he threw a flying attack, I can't remember what it was, or, or a, Some sort I think of it was a flying kick hook or kick or something. something, yeah. Yeah. And it was just to close the distance, because if you have a guy up against the cage and you're Derek Lewis and it's the small cage, like, good luck getting away from that guy, because he's fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, good strategy, but the whole point, like, if I was training someone to fight Derek Lewis, it would be like, we got to get past that first round. I mean, at, I mean, at first, it's like, maybe if, and, and you don't even throw much in that first round. That's kinda what Dawkins was doing. And bait him, and then, mm-hmm. like you said, it's kind of hit or miss. You try to avoid the big onslaught, and then you get knocked out. But if you get past it, your chances of winning significantly increases. So it's a tough, it's a, but that's the risk of fighting, you know, the risk versus reward of doing it. I mean, even my fight with Raymond Daniels, it's a little bit of a small talk, but it's like I didn't, I barely attacked that first round because I knew I was looking to get countered. So it was all about distance management. And then when you understand the distance and the power, that's when you can start picking up the pace. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's risky, but it's fighting. Four rounds of gloves is a little different animal. Well, he gave me a wonderful segue because you can't talk about Raymond Daniels without talking about Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who in the mm-hmm. co-main event lost against Bilal Muhammad. And I'll pat myself on the back, a little Barry Horowitz action, because I was one of the very few that actually picked Bilal Muhammad to win this fight. Yeah, I agree. I mean, good good stuff. I think Bilal did well. And I actually uh, just listened to the Anakin Florian. He actually gave me a shout-out on it. He said... Uh, Basically, he called Anthony Pettis uh, for advice, and Anthony Pettis is like, don't bring in Raymond Daniels. Don't do this. He's like, just watch Bazooka Joe. And I've been saying that to everybody for how long? Stop bringing in Raymond Daniels. You need to find someone who is the anti to Raymond Daniels, and that's Bazooka Joe pressure. So, I mean, Bilal, smart man. Anthony Pettis, smart man. Um, that's why they were, what, both successful. So, uh, I'll um, pull back Bazooka the kickboxing. Let me pull back the curtain a little bit because I interviewed Bilal, but I spoke to him beforehand. Okay. Um, and I'm sure he doesn't mind me sharing this because there's nothing like private or anything, especially now that he's won the fight. But he basically said, like, all I've done to prepare for Steven is, like, I spoke to Anthony. I watched Bazooka Joe's video a bunch of times. Yeah. And I'm not going to bring in a karate guy. I'm not going to put undue pressure on myself. He's like, I know what I'm good at. I'm going to use the strategies that are in this video. And I'm going to use what I'm good at. And the more stuff that I do to try to prepare for this unique opponent, the more it's going to overwhelm me. And the more I'm going to have to think about that. Like, yeah. he, he didn't want to overthink beating Stephen Thompson. He also trained with Gilbert Burns, who just beat Stephen Thompson. He's like, and listen, he, what he did was he implemented your game plan and then also used his strengths to elevate the game plan, really, because your, your game plan doesn't really include any sort of grappling. It just includes the pressure and getting in his face. And I think that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, if you look at his previous fights, he rarely fights in the small cage. The small cage, I think, made a big difference for Bilal Muhammad because he was able to close distance quickly. He was able to pressure. And, uh, yeah, so kudos to you. He gave you a shout. Like, when I spoke to him in advance, he's like, basically, Joe's video has been the only way I've really strategized for And it showed, like, his entering was fantastic. So a lot of people think it's like, oh, it's the low kicks of beating it. It's no, like, if you really are an experienced fighter and you watch my video on Raymond Daniels or you watch my video on how to beat Wonder Boy, it's all about safe entries. Against these guys, it's like the safe enter could be to strike or the safe enter could be to grapple. Bilal used the safe entry to grapple, which is what we do. So when I work with someone like his fight didn't happen, Mike Imperato, who is one of the best grapplers I know, I mean, it's 
it's not about, hey, Mike, go throw the low kick. It's about let's enter safely. So the fainting, the skip steps, not attacking from the outside, making sure you touch them before you attack. Bilal did it perfectly. His enters were safe. He didn't even get touched. If you notice, I think he maybe got hit once, if that, like barely anything. It was the safe entries that was his biggest success. Safe enter to grapple or to strike. It's still the same way to get in and close in a little bit with some subtle uh, differences and he just mastered it beautiful i was just pulling up to see how many times he actually did get hit in that fight yeah 19 significant strikes absorbed he landed seven takedowns in the fight so it's like Mm -hmm. it's just a masterable performance by Bilal, who's now a top five welterweight according to the rankings so uh i can't say enough good things about this guy i just think that he fought the perfect game plan he's very underrated and here's the thing that leon edwards fight that he had everybody wrote him off like, everybody said, oh, Leon was going to cruise to a victory. They had fought one round. Like, that eye poke happened. Like, I mean, when did that happen? Like, it was like seconds into the second round. Let me, let me look it up here. Yeah, it was 18 seconds into the second round, and people were like, oh, we saw how that fight was going. It was a five-round fight. You, yeah, you're telling yeah. me that you don't think he could have done to, to uh, Leon Edwards what he did to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson over the course of five rounds? Like, you don't think he could have gotten entry, like, like you said. Yeah, Got an entry, agree. taken him down, held him down. For three of those next four rounds, like you can't, yeah. you can't definitively say that. It just like it doesn't make sense. So a lot of people are almost considering that a loss to Leon Edwards when it wasn't, and that yeah. frustrates me as somebody who covers the sport because I, I just think that you're not giving enough credit to Bob Muhammad's skill set and what makes him so good if you're going to just write him off after one round against Leon Edwards. Yeah, against in Leon Edwards, you'd probably put him rounds four and five as a favorite in that fight you know as the fight goes on you would think his grappling his pressure would slow uh leon down i would probably give leon a maybe a slight advantage in the beginning of the fight but i think Bilal, like he showed with his distance management and his way to enter and i think he mixes things up maybe one of the best in the division i mean it's it's you know if you look at the top guys there are there one or the other you know like colby maybe more wrestling based you know i don't know i just think Bilal does everything well you know, and I think that's where his biggest strength is. Yeah, so Bilal gets uh, 30-25, 30-26, 30-26. I actually had a 30-27, personally. I scored, I didn't give him any 10-8 rounds. And I kind of explained why on social media. And I don't know if that's just me kind of because I picked Bilal. I didn't want to seem like I had some sort of bias. Maybe I had a reverse bias. But yeah. um, it's the three, like you need to have two of the three Ds. And to me, if you don't have damage as one of the three Ds, it's very hard to get a 10-8 round. And uh, yeah, I thought that, I, I think it was in the first round he had the damage, but he didn't have the dominance or duration because the damage came kind of late in that round when he had, uh, when he had um, Thompson's back and was landing big strikes. And then I thought in the second and third round, he had the duration and he had the dominance, but he didn't have the damage. I didn't think he did enough damage. Again, I, I think all three of those rounds you could consider to be 10-8 rounds personally. Um, yeah. But just myself, I gave him a 30-27. That being said, so, kudos yeah. to him. Yeah. Now, my question to you is, I know there's a lot of talk. Where does he go next from here? What makes sense for him? Well, he wants to fight Hamzat Shemaev because he says a win over Hamzat Shemaev does more for me than beating a top five guy. Um, and it's kind of an interesting time right now because if you look at the top five of the division, Ali Abdelaziz manages four of the top five guys. Like He manages Bilal, he manages Kamar Usman, he manages Burns, he manages Vicente Luque. Um, and I know that who else is there? There's Leon Edwards and I think there's one other person because uh, there's the top five plus the champion. I'm not sure who the other person is. but uh, So it's going to be interesting to see how those guys are all matched up together because I know that Ali doesn't like having his guys fight each other, typically. It's happened, of course, in the past, but yeah. he doesn't really like doing that. Yeah, well, I think the Shamaya fight makes sense now. I think with Bilal getting this steam, and I think it, it makes sense. I mean, 
Gilbert Burns could make sense as well if they're really wanting to push Bilal. That could work as well. But like you said, they, they just kind of managed together. and yeah. trained managed, together. They just trained together. But it kind of makes sense if you want to keep pushing Bilal. Or is Bilal the guy they want to push? I mean, that's the other, that's question. The other question. right? Is that what he wants to go? Is it, Do they push a Leon Edwards more, the Vicente more? So, I mean, it's the option of the UFC. But I think uh, Bilal surprisingly ended the year in a great position. Yeah, I mean, I think Leon gets the next title shot. But I don't personally agree with it. Like, I just don't – I'm not super impressed by – I, I didn't think he looked particularly great against Nate. I thought, like, he was cruising, but then Nate almost won at the end, of, right? And Nate's a 55er, right? I, you know, yeah. so it's hard to... So who gets listen, it? He's then? on a big streak. I don't know. I, personally, I would just line a bunch of them up. I would do a bunch of contender fights and just whoever looks the best out of all of them. I mean, if Edwards wins against any of those guys, I think you have to give him the title shot. But if he ends up fighting, say, uh, a Gilbert Burns or uh, a rematch with Bilal, or, and he ends up losing then I think that you just kind of take the best, um, the best of the bunch that win these, uh, you know, these contender fights. Yeah, I mean, they got to do something because I don't think there is a, a clear contender now in that welterweight. Yeah, I think, I think Edwards is the most clear of the bunch because I of agree. the win streak. But he's also lost to Usman before, right? So, but he does have a win over Luke, who's a top five guy. So he does have a win under his belt of somebody who's currently in the top five. Good. Even if you look at Bilal versus Vicente, like I mean, who's a favorite in that? Probably Bilal. No, mm, with his grappling. I think it would probably be Vicente. Yeah, you think so? I think. Yeah. I mean, with Vicente's okay. chokes and stuff like that, I think Vicente would be a favorite over Muhammad. In fact, I think Bilal Muhammad is probably the underdog against just about anybody that's ranked. Anybody in that top five? Yeah. Oh, who? Who's, yeah. Do you have the rankings in front of you? Yeah, yeah I'm looking at the. Okay, rankings. so who's who's in the top five? Because I'm missing somebody in my brain. Uh, so Kamaro Champ one, Colby two. Oh, Burns. Colby. Colby's who I'm forgetting. Yeah, Kobe yeah. at one, okay. Burns two, Leon three, Vicente four, Bilal five now. Yeah. And uh, Masvidal down to six, which I think he's been sitting there yeah. at six. And he was supposed to face Edwards, but now he lost that opportunity, it looks like. It looks like they're going to go Edwards versus Usman next. So, yeah, I'm interested to see who Kobe fights next because Kobe, I think, is favored against just about anybody as well. Like, uh, you know, if you put Kobe up against Bilal or against uh, Luque or against you know, any of these Burns, I think that he's favored against any of those guys. Do you think they go Masvidal, Colby? Maybe. That because would make sense. Masv- Masvidal's... But he'd be favored over Masvidal, I don't think he cares sure. about rankings, right? He'd probably want the bigger fight, if anything. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a bigger fight for both those guys. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. I like it. And then all of a sudden, Shemaev at 11, just ready to creep his way in. Mm-hmm. So it's an exciting time. Yeah, Shemaev is going to get one of those guys in the top five. I think, it, I think it's going to be Burns, personally, but we'll see. Yeah, I think Burns makes sense, and I think that's a a logical and huge jump uh, for him. But uh, massive jump. It's, yeah, it's, 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 he can do it. Hopefully, it's not a Dawkins kind of jump, and because uh, as much as uh, his confidence kind of irks me a little bit, it's it's working. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, get him going, keep him rolling. You just want to box that guy. He's just like you just want to do it, have a kickboxing match against Shemaev and show him show him what's what. Yeah, that's it. But if there was wrestling involved, you'd be in big trouble. <laughs> I wouldn't say big trouble. I think he would be scared of me a little bit of my power. And just throw, throwing, up, throwing uppercuts I, up the middle, knees. Aaron, I'm a kickboxer, but I ain't scared of no grapplers. I'll tell okay. you that right, right now. You give me a jiu-jitsu black belt, put them up against me and tell me tell me what up. All right. Well, have you faced Demian Maya? That's just an style, interesting stylistic matchup. He probably yeah, wouldn't he last, can grab my leg. last two minutes with you. <laughs> smash him and he'll kick his legs. And I'm a different animal. Mm-hmm. I'm a different animal than these other welterweights. I don't play, Aaron. Come on. <laughs> Women's strawweight division, Amanda Lemos defeats Angela Hill by split decision. I actually am in the minority and had it for Lemos. I know a lot of people thought Hill won that fight. 
I mean, I'm I, I'm biased, but uh, I heard a lot of people say Lemos, but uh, tough fight. But I thought uh, well deserved as the fight of the night. To be honest with you, I think it was great, good back and forth action. Um, I think the biggest difference in the fight personally was uh, when Amanda landed, it kind of had a little bit more umph to it, more that's than exactly Angela it. Hill, and I think that was the biggest difference if you picked Lemos, but. When you look at more control time and the in and out and the fainting and looking to grapple and, you know, Angela had that side of the fight, too. So, I mean, but at the end of the day, if you hit harder and you do damage when you hit, you know, it seems to score better. Well, basically, the way that I saw it was if the judges believed that Hill connected on that spinning elbow in the third round, then Hill should win. But true. I didn't. I thought it was a slip when I watched it live. And then when you watch the replay back, it looked like it was clearly a slip. Yeah. So in the end, when you're watching the broadcast... You hear these guys, oh, spinning elbow, yeah, Angela yeah. Hill. But yeah, the reality of it is it was a slip, right? So, like, a lot of people were swayed by that. Um, I was not. but uh, And I thought that if you look at the third round, Lamos landed the most significant strike of the round, which was that, that front kick right up the middle, which was like in the oh, first yeah. 30 seconds of the round, which a lot of people forget. Yeah, most people gave Angela second, right? And then it was the third one that was in the air. Yeah, so Angela one and one should have won the second round. So one of the judges gave Lamos all three rounds, which I that I don't agree with. I thought Angela clearly won the second yeah, but it seems like from a, from a growth standpoint, Angela Hill looked like she's, you know, improved well mixing in the grappling. I think she's uh, definitely a full-blown mixed martial artist now. And I don't think she really lost much uh, when it looks in the eyes of Dana White and stuff like that. I feel like even Dana thought she won and they're yeah. still getting a lot of praise. So I, I think in her mind, she's still kind of upset that she got the loss. But I think... In the eyes of many of the matchmakers in the division, it was almost like a win uh, or kind of stay where it is. It doesn't knock her down, yeah, if anything. she was a big right? underdog, too, right? Like, you have to take that into consideration. She was a big underdog who hung with somebody who was expected to roll through hers. And then that kind of thing goes a long way. And Hill is, uh, I think, has now, is tied for a second or something with the, the most split decision losses in UFC history. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's yeah. up there. But, hey, she's probably one of the most active in the last probably three, four years. I mean, she seems to be fighting okay. at least four or five times a year, at least four, you know. Mm -hmm. She steps in. She's this is a she's there. Fight too. She shows up. Yeah, she shows up. She's never really, even when she fights the top of the division, I mean, she's never really overly outclassed at all, you know. And it's always, like you said, split decision loss. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just crappy for her because she's a friend. But, uh, yeah, I mean, she didn't really lose in the eyes of Dana. So that's the, the good part. Ricky Simone knocks out Hafael uh, Sansao, who I just don't think has nothing left in the tank. Like, I just don't think he can hang with these younger guys anymore. When you're 39, you're in the bantamweight division. It's very hard to keep up. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Simone looked pretty pretty good, looked though. Great. Uh, looked great. Yeah, looked great. I mean, his style, his look. I mean, I just think he's the good. Like a, yeah, you got to have the mullet. <laughs> uh, but he's, uh, he's surprising. He looks like a big boy, eh? Like, he's just, does he cut a lot of weight? Is he known for that? Or? Um, I don't think he's known for that, but he's a, he's a bigger bantamweight for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't think I, I expected a finish in this fight, but uh, got it done. Ruined one of my TSN edge picks, to be honest. Uh, you had him by decision? I had that fight going over two and a half rounds. Okay. Parlayed yeah. with Lewis and Dawkins under, and Dante, or Lewis and Dawkins doesn't go to a decision, and Dante Almeida, Josh Parisian, or uh, sorry, and uh, Justin Toffa, Harry Hunsucker doesn't go to a decision. Yeah, that, that, that should have been a... That should have been you get easy that at? What did you get that at? One, plus that, 145. Was... If that was plus 145? Yeah, if all three Tafa of those Tafa not went. going? No, the parlay. All three of those together. Oh, okay, on the parlay. Tafa okay, not going, that... Lewis not going, all five rounds, and uh, the over two and a half in Simone and Asensio. What I should have done is the over two and a half in Bilal and Stephen Thompson, but I yeah. did not do that. Yeah. I thought the, the easiest pick of the night for me, to be honest, was Cub Swanson. 
by finish. That was honestly, personally, my uh, probably my main pick of the night. Mm-hmm. I liked Swanson by finish. I didn't make a pick, but I liked him in that fight. Yeah, I, th- I think Darren Elkins shows well on toughness and durability, but when Cub Swanson hits you, I don't think yeah. there's uh, there's much return. I mean, Cub's hands are fantastic. The power he's got, the crispness. I mean, I thought that was another easy pick of the night for me. Mm-hmm. When uh, Herb stopped the fight, a lot of people thought it was a late stoppage, and I said Herb probably could have let that go longer, honestly, because and people got mad at me. And I said Elkins always looks like he's dead until he's like on his back and not moving. Like the guy's always moving; he's always trying to get to. He went. He was shooting for a takedown even when Herb stopped it. Like he just never seems like he's out, even if the guy's destroying him. And we've seen him come back from this kind of thing in the past. So I, I said, I'm, I said Herb probably could have let it go, but I'm glad he didn't because we don't need yeah, Darren Elkins yeah. to take undue damage. Yeah. No pun intended with his nickname, but yeah, that was a that was a good bait win for Cubs once. It looked fantastic, and he had his kids there, his wife. You know, it was nice. His his two twin boys look exactly like him. They're like these tiny Cubs once. I know. Yeah, his little daughter looked cute too. I yeah, saw a glasses. picture of them on Instagram. She had her fist up. The little boys were yeah. just standing there, and she had her fist up, and she looked so cute in it. I mean, I I think it's still insane sometimes to think about that these little. You know, kids watching their dad rings uh, cage side, knocking somebody out. I mean, it's still wild to me to to kind of see that and the feeling. Because if you're on the receiving end of that, I don't know if that's an yeah. image your kids can no get problem. out of your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're ahead at such a young age, seeing daddy get flatlined like that. But uh, I mean, luckily it went the, the good way for him. Uh, Mateusz Gamrot enters the lightweight rankings with a win over Carlos Diego Fejeja. Uh, it says submission to knee to the body is the TKO. It's TKO, submission to knee to the body. But I, I actually think it was something else. I don't think it was the knee. It was something yeah. was bothering Feheha. I don't know if he's come out with what it was, but it didn't seem like the knee did all that much damage. It seemed like he was hurt before the knee even landed. Yeah, it was weird. Maybe it was the way he kind of... Sometimes you're like, ribs could pop out, you know, mm-hmm. in weird yeah, things. And then the, the rib, and then when you got hit, you're like, no, 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 that's enough. Like, you try to fight it off, like... I have a feeling it was something like that previously, and then just from that position and when it got hit, it was enough. But everyone's uh, seems to be really high on this Gamrot character. So, what do you think <laughs> See, of him? Everybody thought everybody got mad afterwards because they thought he was calling out Conor McGregor, but he was actually calling out Michael Chandler for calling out Conor McGregor. It's like, don't call oh, out okay. Conor McGregor. I, you should be fighting somebody real like me. <laughs> he sounds like a, a character in one of those Tekken games. You're gonna play with Gamrot because who does yeah, who's, it sound that? It sounds like uh, there's got to be one of those characters. Come on, uh, from Tekken or Mortal Kombat or something. Yeah, but Gamrot is a pretty cool fight it's like name. Like Goro that. from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, anything. Yeah. You're fighting Gamrot versus, you know, that's perfect. Yeah, it sounds like a Street Fighter name, like uh, like Street yeah. Fighter Alpha or something. I like it. Like Gamrot, yeah, I like yeah. the Gamrot. Mateus? Mateus. Gamrot. Mateus. No, actually, Mateus is, uh, is like the Brazilian way of saying it. But it's Matush. Matush. Matush Gamrot. Yeah, that's the Polish Matush. way. What's his background? Polish, Polish right? yeah. Yeah, uh, good. Speaking of Polish, did you see that uh, Soldik? Uh, is it Roberto Ricardo Soldik, the the champion that uh, people are gonna kill me for this because they're big KSW marks, and I'm not as big of a KSW guy. But man, that guy can that guy can hit. No, I didn't see it. Yeah, he's a two division no. champion in KSW, and he knocked out uh, Mahmoud Kaladov, who never gets finished like that. The guy's, I mean, the guy's 41 now, but. That guy was uh, that guy was one of the best, probably the best fighter in KSW history, or at least up there. And hmm. so they just torched the guy. Yeah, I'll look it up. Gerald Mearshart, third round submission over Dustin Stoltzfus. It was getting uh, was getting you know tricky for a while for for Gerald Mearshart, but he always finds a way. That's a guy that you can bet your money on because he's he's not a quitter. He's always looking for finishes and he's always able to get them. 
Yeah, he finds a way. It's. I mean, I, I feel like it's a couple fights now where he's waiting to the last minute to get the submission and stressing everybody out. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he, he sticks to his game once he gets you down, and it's a, it's a slow process, but he'll get it. The boa constrictor himself, you know? I should look up how much money somebody would have won if they bet on Mirashard by submission in all of his fights. Like, even the ones that he lost. Like, if you were to just add it up. Just, yeah. It's almost like a Derek Lewis prop, you know? You just just put it on. Just put it on by finish. That's it. I did that with Mirashard last time when he was plus 1,000 by by a submission against uh, Mahmoud Muradov. And uh, he ended up getting the sub against him. Yeah. That probably pays for all of the ones. He loses all of the rest of them. Yeah. Covers it all. Yeah. Justin Taffa, I thought, was a another one of those ones where I expected to finish. Yeah, that was a that was a nice head kick finish uh, against a very low level. Of, no disrespect to Harry Hansacker, but probably among the lowest level heavy, heavyweights in the UFC right now. But uh, yeah. nice to see Taffa back in the win column. Although he made two two fighters made history, the highest registered weight for male and female fighter on the same card. Right. What was uh, t- I know Tafa missed the 265. What did he and come he in? 260, he was 267, and he just needed to make 266. And he's like, "No, nah, I'm not cutting another pound." I'm like, "Dude, he didn't want to like, cut. Go the for a run, pounds? dude. You're a heavyweight. Cut so he can cut a pound. Percentage off for that? Yeah, he lost like probably 20 percent because he didn't want to lose one pound. Would it be like one pound? Yeah, because he's probably one pound allowance. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. He could have made 266 and get the one pound allowance. He, that, he that, probably that, just had to like that bothers me. Like, come on, Tafa, that's a lot you of probably, money like, giving away. probably, like, eat while you're running and cut the, the pound. You just go yeah, for, like, a long know. jog, and you can just eat, like, eat like a baguette, it's, and you probably still They even gonna, like, say salary, eating celery is, like, negative calories. So just yeah. chomp on some salary. Yeah, do eat something, some celery man. and come do on. some push-ups, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. Maybe there was something going on, but I can't see just why he wouldn't. Yeah, that's surprising to me. Uh, Macy Chase on a missed weight as well. She was 148 and a half pounds for a very short-notice featherweight fight, even though she's normally a bantamweight, so... Uh, she missed there and was subsequently finished by the fir- for the first time in her career. But we'll get to that in a second. So Tafa ends up getting the win. Uh, Junior Tafa, when's, what's going on with him? He was supposed to be on a contender series. I want to see know. what happens I with him. I don't know. I uh, kind of I was hoping to see him this year. I've been following along, but uh, I think he'd be a good addition. He looks like he's slimming down, though. I don't know if he's going to light heavyweight, but he looks like he's trimmed down quite a bit. He's not as big as his brother. Uh, Melissa Gatto lands a beautiful front kick to the liver against uh, Sajara Eubanks and shuts her down in the third round. Eubanks also missed weight. It's it's tough because Eubanks looked great on the scale for her previous fight against Elise Reed at 125 pounds, and then she can, comes in over uh, on this one. And Melissa Gatto is a good fighter and ends up getting yeah, uh, sure. a good. That's a big win over Eubanks. I think Eubanks at 125, like that's where she's at her absolute best and has some great physicality uh, in that division. Yeah, I mean, even that finish, it was a little unique. It, it didn't look like it was almost like a front kick, almost like a. It was like a weird looking, like mm-hmm. if it was it the was. solar plexus or liver. I know the the commentators were going back and forth on it, but it was a weird toe stabbing shot. Like I mean, front kicks are effective, and we've seen it um, twice in that night from the women. How yeah. good front kicks are! Right. I don't understand why they're not thrown a a, a, a lot more, but. Uh, it's one of those strikes I think we'll start seeing coming back again. And Lamos was doing them to the face a couple, like the, the ones to Angela Hill. The first one in the first oh, yeah. round was to the face that really rattled her. And then in the third round, she landed again. Good dexterity on her part. But that uh, that is, you're right. I think that the front kick, it's a great way of not, not just landing, but creating distance at the same time. Like if you can land a good front kick to wherever... Like you're gonna it keeps be able... it away. That's what it is. It keeps somebody mm-hmm. away from you. And again, if it's like even if you're a striker and you, you want someone shooting in on your legs, it's scary when someone throws front kicks as you're trying to shoot down. So right. it's a it's a very effective tool. I mean, and if you can mix them up to the body, then sneak them up to the chin and the face. That's where you get those nice knockouts. 
Uh, Charles Jordan goes Super Saiyan mode or Saiyan. What is it? Do you, do you watch I Dragon Ball Z? No, no, no I, I don't. But I know, super, I know Charles does. Saiyan. I'm trying to do him right. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, <laughs> young and talented. I like, I like his style. I like his his tribute to really putting on exciting fights. I mean, there's a lot of people who just want to win, and uh, Charles Jordan's there to entertain, and that's uh, that's what he's there for. I had my Jordan wins in round three. At plus one thousand, he has an edge dart throw. It was I, I, going into that third round. I thought Charles was going to get a stoppage, but uh, man, Charles just—he uh, just went into beast mode. It was unbelievable to see him in the third round, just screaming at you. He landed yeah. that big front kick to end the fight. Great way to finish out his contract with the UFC because I think he adds a lot of uh, value there. Because I, you know, I just don't see why the UFC wouldn't want to bring him back if you're going to be guaranteed. He's one of these guys. It's just like a guaranteed good fight if you put him in there. Yeah, he'll come forward. He scraps. There's no surprise. He wants to keep it on the feet as much as he can. He switches stances. He likes the kick, which is a, a fun way to watch. He's not scared to call people out. He wanted Cub Swanson from even last year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's calling his shots, doing the right moves. Um, you know, I'm a big uh, Charles Air Jordan fan for sure. Absolutely. I know, he, I know he's a big Bazooka Joe Vazzolini fan, so. Oh, yeah. We met first in TKO years ago, and he, he did his little post-fight conference, and he kind of made a nice little uh, <clears throat> reference to me. And uh, since then, I've been following him and his brother, so I'm, uh, I'm excited to see even his brother. I know he was on that looking for a fight, uh, didn't get the win there, but uh, I think we'll see his brother in the UFC eventually, too. Yeah, I hope so. I didn't realize he was on the looking for a fight, so uh, yeah, good on Louis Jordan. I hope he ends mm-hmm. up getting a contract as well. Still very young. Both these guys are so young. I mean, Jordan's 26. His brother is like 23 or 24. These yeah. guys have so much time. but It's almost like the Pettis bros to me. They remind me of the Pettis brothers. Yeah. Not as know? many years between, but yeah. Not as many years, but I mean, also, like, I mean, we saw how Pettis at this time was on cereal boxes and made a big mm-hmm. superstar, but Jordan could be on his way, I hope. Yeah, and, and Sergio on his way to having a better career than Anthony. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. nice title defense, and I don't think he's quite there yet, but he's on his way. I mean, people forget how good Anthony Pettis was for a time. Like, he was the guy. Oh, yeah. The man. Yeah. Raquel Pennington, as I mentioned, defeats uh, Macy Chason. Chason misses, uh, misses weight and uh, is finished with a guillotine choke in the second round. Dante Mays defeats Josh Parisian, Carbo Parisian, as uh, he is known in some circles, by TKO. Okay. He was. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean by TKO? He fought in TKO? No, he, he, he lost by TKO in the fight. Oh, he lost to by Dante TKO. Dante Mays, yeah. Beats him okay. by TKO. Third round, he had him in a crucifix, was landing a bunch of elbows, and the referee stopped it. Dante Almeida is implementing a grappling-heavy uh, attack. Very interesting strategy against Josh Parisian. Was it uh, crucifix style, yeah. like Gary Goodridge style, or like on top? It wasn't top quite position. as vicious as the Gary. Gary oh, Goodrich. that's my favorite. Come it was on, kind of did a crucifix. I need a Gary Goodridge style finish yeah. like that. Yeah, he didn't beat the man to death like Gary Goodridge nearly did. Uh, and Jordan Levitt defeats uh, Matt Sales with an inverted triangle choke. Uh, looked good. Yeah. Nice to see Jordan Levitt. Very nice guy back in the uh, in the win column. For that. And uh, that's pretty much it for the year. I mean, uh, there's one other thing that uh, you're not going to bring up, but I guess I'm going to bring it up. Jake Paul oh, defeats Tyron Woodley. I, had an, I have one other thing I want to end sure. this show with. Uh, before we talk Jake Paul, I just want to give out a shout-out to Claudia Gadelia oh, for yeah. retiring OG. for post-concussion uh, syndrome there. Hey, it's a, it's a brutal sport, and I kind of respect what she's doing, going out before taking more damage and uh, – I think a lot of people forget that uh, I was almost one of the first people to give up uh, my career and a world title for concussions. And when I gave it up, people were like, concussions? We didn't even think they were real five, six years ago, you know? And now seeing more and more doing it and it being a real thing um, and people getting out at the right time, I think, is something great. Um, So 
kudos to her. I think she had a fantastic career. And I think the more we kind of uh, kind of openly speak about how concussions affect the sport and the damage it does in the future, I think it's better. So kudos to her. I'm, I'm proud of her for stepping up and doing that, to be honest with you. I don't know if you heard her talk about it, but it sounded like she was going through the same thing as you, like just debilitating, like depression and headaches and like yeah. the bad yeah, things for real. her was she also didn't have any family with her because her family were stuck in brazil she couldn't travel back and forth she couldn't travel with the concussion and her family couldn't come to her so uh, she was just in a really tough predicament so uh, she made, made a, a decision that's best for her quality of life so you have to uh, respect that yeah and i mean it's been two this year right we we had um felicia spencer kind of say that hey i don't have damage but i know it's going to lead to that in the future so i'm going to hang it up and now claudia gadelia so i mean it's uh it's something that needs to happen more and i honestly when i was watching the darren elkins fight i was hoping he would kind of say the same thing and kind of go off before it's a little too late but uh the more people leave earlier and make uh you know some light on it i think it's the better because a lot of i think a lot of fighters need to to, to hang it up earlier yeah shout out to her and felicia spencer both uh, challenging for the title during their UFC careers. So, Jake Paul, yep. Tyron Woodley. I, did it, were you watching it? Did you watch it live? Uh, I did, yeah. I was watching it. Didn't it feel like the bubble was like about to burst? Like, the fight was so boring. Like, there was nothing yeah, going terrible. on. terrible. The fight was terrible. terrible fight. Nothing going it on. It was bad. And it was like, ugh. Nobody's going to want to pay for Jake Paul again after this. Grappling. More grappling. He, he can still sell a fight, but I mean, I mean, it's very difficult to, to want to see more after that. And then he just flatlines Tyron Woodley in one of those viral moments, Showtime, to their credit, got the finish out there right away. Like They were looking for people to buy the pay-per-view again because yeah. if you're going to buy the pay-per-view, you're going to have to watch the first whatever minutes of that fight leading up to that. They just got the moment out there and it became a meme. It was fat. It, was, it went everywhere. Oh, it's everywhere. Is it, is it one of the knockouts of the year? I mean, maybe. In terms of just highlight reels, <laughs> sure. Of all combat sports, that was one of the nastiest knockouts of, I mean, the shot was one powerful, looped, crazy hard, but it's the fall of Woodley that made it even worse. I mean, that's one of the best knockouts we've seen of the year. I'm yeah. sorry. Like, it's crazy to say that, but uh, Jake Paul can box, man. I mean, he can't, not good, but he can, I, I'm going to say he can't box, but Jake Paul can throw a mean punch, put mm -hmm. it that way. Yeah. We can throw a mean punch. And he was up but... on the scorecards at the time. I wasn't sure how to score it, really, because there was so much clinching. And, and who was I don't clinching know in your eyes when you were watching it? Who was clinching more? Uh, who was initiating? Was. I thought Woodley was. Yeah. I don't know. I kept seeing both. I mean, I kept that's the narrative of Woodley, but uh, they were both kind of – that's kind of what showed – that, to me, honestly, just showed amateur boxing and amateur fighting to me, which I'm surprised. I know why Woodley was doing it. It made sense, but uh, it's still uh, it was still a little bit boring, and it showed a little bit of amateur boxing. But uh, I think Jake Paul does need that bigger fight now, and I don't think a Tommy Fury does it. Uh, Anderson he needs something Silva. a little bit up. Yeah, That's I think fight. so. But yeah, it, it, it's the biggest of it. Yeah, fight a guy who's actually so. his size, who actually knows how to box. That's the fight to make, in my opinion. But yeah. it seems. But again, like, uh, then what happens if he beats Anderson Silva? Then it's like, well, you're beating uh, a 45-year-old yeah. Anderson Silva. No. But Anderson Silva just beat Julio Cesar Chavez, who apparently is the other guy that he wants to. He apparently wants to fight Julio Cesar Chavez. Uh -huh. um, That's a little crazy. One of the names that uh, he threw out there. Yeah, but if Anderson beat Chavez, and we're talking about. I don't know. It's 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 tough, but uh, hey, I was locked in. I'm surprised you watched it. Did you watch it live, or you just? I watched, watched the live. Uh, yeah, I watched the live. Wow. That's a surprise. Yeah. Well, there's MMA value to it, right? I mean, okay. So yeah. if there's MMA value, I watch it. And I was very impressed with Amanda Serrano also. That's one of the big things that has come of this is that he's giving a, a good platform for Amanda Serrano, who's really a pleasure to watch. 
She was fun. She, I mean, I mean, I know she was good in her combinations, were nasty and very good in and out. But uh, the, the her opponent, I, sorry, I don't know her name, but she did a fantastic job of making it fun, mm-hmm. whipping back sure. counter shots. Like she made it a good fight, and um, you know, I didn't expect the fight to be as entertaining as it was. And then the, the Darren Williams Frank Gore that was a that was something. Yeah, something. It was fun That's to watch. It. it was fun the to watch. The first round was all right, I guess. You know, I mean, fun. there's a little bit going on, yeah. but. I still think they made uh, a pretty boring event with one punch become a huge success. Like For it was sure. all down to For one sure. punch. Do you think about that? how much money a Jake Paul made off of that one punch, and b the Tyron Woodley lost on that one punch. Like Tyron yeah. Woodley, like I don't know who's going to book this guy now. Yeah, him versus Dan Hardy in boxing. I'm sure some people would be interested, but I don't know. It's like I just think that he lost a lot of money by getting knocked out in that fashion. Yeah. I always say it, I mean, I'm not doing it and saying it, but uh, the best logical step for someone like a Jake Paul, and I mean, we just talked about brain health and me retired, but would be someone like if I had 2 million followers, it would make sense for him to box someone like me next, to be honest, because it's like the next step. I mean, you find a a high-level kickboxer, like honestly, you put him against some of the, like even like a, a big Cedric Dumbay smaller, but that would be like, I mean, that's a big fight for him. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but I'm throwing some kickboxers in as our boxing's better than MMA fighters. So it's the next step. Like and Jason Wilmot or something. Yeah, Jason's not as a, a good enough boxer, but like someone like Joe Schilling even. Yeah, but if you do Wilmot, even though he's not a very mm-hmm. good boxer, you can still say, oh, I beat a world champion kickboxer, right? Like he can still, he can still yeah, have that notch on We got to put someone pretty good in. Joe boxing, Schilling's great. Really That's a great idea, too. I like that Joe Schilling idea. Joe Schilling, is, I think, is a fun fight. Someone with good hands, nice and long, who will scrap back. I think, I think Joe he's Schilling looking more for perfect. name value than to, like... Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I that's why I took my name out of it. But I mean, me, like someone like that would make a lot of sense to be honest. You just gotta get Rogan to invite you on his show, and then you can go. Then you can call out Jake Paul, and then we can talk. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the Rogan bump will give me to a million followers, but uh, maybe a couple hundred thousand, maybe. Just every question he asks you, you just somehow bring Jake Paul into it. Jake Paul, make it like a two-hour podcast where you're calling him out. I don't think I talk enough smack either. (laughs) I gotta, I gotta start talking a little bit more smack, and then maybe. So I gotta start doing some memes or something. He needs a, he needs a trash talker with him. Should I buy these glory NFTs? I got an email about them. Glory smacks. I don't know. I just uh, I I know my uh, my best friend there, Costa, knows about them, so he signed up for them. I'm, I still haven't signed up. I was planning on doing it today, but I know they give you a nice uh, a nice starter kit with it on the way too. So yeah, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. I'm still new to NFTs and what they do and how they are. I'm still trying to learn all about it, but. Uh, if it's a glory one and it's fighting and it has to do with kickboxing, why not? I spent way too much money on an NFT yesterday, but I don't really want to talk about it. Okay. I feel like so I, it, I feel like hopeful, but also kind of ashamed that I would spend that much money on something like that. Now, when you have this, like, is it just yours to keep now, or are you in the business of trying to sell it now, or is it if just you wait in time? Like, that's what my main thing is. I don't understand. The only way I would sell it is if the market gets really hot, and I could sell it, and I, I think I could get an upgrade as a result if the market dips again. Like, if if I treat it like a stock, but I'm in it for the long run with this one. This one I just think is it has good upside. That's all. Do you now? It's like you look at it like that as a way as an income, or is it more just as, like a hobby? I look at it of... as an investment. Almost like your like your records. Like your records is a hobby, like my records. or is your records a, a my records more of a are a hobby that I get like real now. enjoyment out of? Like I really enjoy having them and listening to them and spending time with them. This is more of something that I'm treating like a stock. I I, I had to sell it to my wife because it's a, like I said, it's a pretty big purchase. And I yeah. talked to her and I kind of had to sell her on the fact that like I'm buying this because I think that it has more upside than buying a stock. 
Or yeah, buying stocks. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I could pick your brain another time. It was just yeah. like, where do you even? Is there certain sites that you trust more to buy them? Yes. Than not. Yeah. Okay. I think that if they're like associated with a bigger, uh, like this one's associated with Dapper Labs. Dapper Labs, I think, is a massive company. They, they have the UFC contract. They do NBA Top Shot. They do. They're doing the NFL All Day. I think it's called the new NFL. So, uh, yeah, I just I have trust in in their platform. I was um, listening to apparently you might know him. Uh, he was on the Rogan show. I was listening. Beeple, don't know him. He was apparently <laughs> the number one in NFTs. Okay. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I should listen to that. Million though. dollars in NFTs. He said he was one of the most successful NFT guys. I was like, I don't know. So I was listening to a little bit, trying to gain some info. There were people flipping these ones yesterday, and they they made five figures in one day just flipping, just like buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling. One day, five figures. Jeez. Yeah. All right. And I think now with the lockdowns uh, starting again, people might be back into looking at hobbies and stuff. So, yeah, it may, might be your uh, quick quick flip here. Yeah, we'll have to see. Well, either way, Joe, it's been a pleasure doing this with you for another year. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the new year doing Likewise. this again. And uh, I want to wish you a, a Merry Christmas to you and your family and uh, and a Happy New Year. Awesome. Likewise, Aaron. I mean, are you guys with the kids? Do you celebrate Christmas as yeah, well? Or? The tree. I picked the best tree I've ever picked this year. This year, our tree is phenomenal. So you go to the like a center and you pick a live tree? Yeah. Well, all right. I do and you deal year. with picking up the needles all the time and oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. the mess it makes. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, watering it, picking up the needles. And... But if you water them with a little sugar, they should stay a little longer, the needles, right? I've never heard that before in my life, Joe. Really? Yeah. Water you don't put a little, a little sugar, sugar in your water? No, should I should I tell my wife to do that? I think so. I okay. thought that was a I'll thing. I bought I, I bought one live Christmas tree my entire life, and I read it, and it said you should put a little bit of sugar water in it. Okay, well I can do that. That sounds. I good. could be making this up, but I would worth it's worth googling for two seconds uh, to see if it's worth putting sugar. But I think right. you should. I think. <laughs> well, I hope everybody enjoys the holiday, uh, enjoys spending time with their families, and enjoys a couple of weeks with no UFC events to uh, distract them on the Saturdays. You know, use that Saturday. To, uh, to spend more time with your family, get to know them a little bit better, hang out with them. Yeah, and, and not know. fight with them. Yeah, you don't, don't fight with them. Pleasant. No. Don't fight yeah. with them. Watch some movies. You know, just yeah. enjoy the downtime. I like it. All right, Joe. We'll see you next All year. Right, Thanks, everybody. And uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.